So Jesus says, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's song we sing, coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's not about the song. It's about him. It's not about us, how we feel. It's about him. And this Jesus, who our worship is about, he said something as we were, uh, me and my dad, and since we were studying this week, uh, we read a psalm, and it was just an interesting psalm, and it got us to thinking. And we thought about the words of Christ when he said that uh, you, we will do greater works than him. Or the, when he said about John the Baptist, he said the least in the kingdom is greater than him. And if you think about the works of Jesus, and you think about you know what he said, Maybe he's not exactly talking about, you know, all the things that he did. Because who in this world, in the 2,000 years since he's uh, lived and died and gone to the Father, has done things that could even, you know, works like, you know, raising dead men after, you know, three days in the tomb and then, you know, little girls just coming to life and things like that. How many, how many people have done those things? That we could say, oh man, that guy's doing greater things than Jesus in that sense. And then to think that Jesus, when he said this, he's talking about like all of us. Then we really got to say, scratch our heads and think, what in the world is he saying? Either he means something else or, uh, or we just haven't seen it yet. Or maybe he, you know, missed something. What I think Jesus was saying there, what I think he was saying to us, his encouragement to us... I believe was about our proclamation of the gospel. So, for instance, Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine being there for that? Raising Lazarus from the dead. And he comforts Mary and he comforts Martha before he actually raises Lazarus. And and he says, don't worry, don't worry, he's going to be okay. And she says... Mary, I believe, says, Oh, I know, Jesus, he will be okay one day. You're the resurrection and the life. I know, Jesus, one day it'll be okay. And then Jesus goes on, and he actually calls Lazarus from the tomb. And he lives. But have you ever thought about when Lazarus died again? And I wonder, just, you know, this is kind of a something I've just personally been thinking about. I wonder if Mary and Martha, if they were still alive, were as sad the second time as they were the first time. But think about this. Jesus tells us, he tells us that we will do greater things than him. And I propose to you that Jesus was talking about something greater than just praying for a dead guy and he lives again for a while, year, two years, five years, 50 years, 90 more years, and dies again. He's talking about our proclamation of the gospel, our pointing to the cross that he died on and the grave that he came, rose out of, and pointing people to that grave and to that cross and saying, you can live and never die. You can live and never die. That is what Jesus, I believe, was talking about. And he has put that spirit, that power to point people to him, to point people to that truth that sets them free from death and sin. He's put that power in us. 
That's why we're greater than John the Baptist, because we came after the cross. When John the Baptist was pointing to something that hasn't even happened yet, we come after the cross and we can say, it is finished. It is done. Trust in that. And so I want to sing one more song. And I want it to stir our spirits today. Pay attention to these words. And I want your spirits to be stirred with the promise that Jesus gave us. You will do greater works than Christ. You will preach a greater, more complete, a more beautiful, visible gospel message than Christ could preach. Because he's now done the work. Then John the Baptist could proclaim because the work is now finished. So you, Christian, who have trouble talking to your co-workers or trouble talking to your neighbors or trouble uh, evangelizing or serving in eternal capacities, the lost and dying world around you, I want you, Christian, to look at the spirit that Christ has placed in you and stir that up, stir up that faith in you and saying, I am going to be, this is now going to give the name of the song away, a history maker. Now, it can seem kind of corny, but you know, they say that even the smallest change, you know, like if we were to go back in time, the smallest change would change the course of history. Smallest thing, you know, we step on an ant or, or kill a butterfly, you know, they say it would change the course of the world. Imagine if we evangelize to a lost person and we plant that seed, even if we never see them personally come to faith. If we plant, imagine the course of history that we have the capability to change, to affect because of the spirit of God in us, because of the work of Christ on the cross. Let's stir our spirits this morning. Lord, that's our confession, our prayer, our declaration. Stir up our spirits. Lord, that that would be not only truth, Lord, that just happens, but truth that we would desire to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated for just a moment. We're going to take communion here in a sec. But on that note, I want to just say a little something. Because as we were singing that, I just think, you know, sometimes I can't expect, you know, okay, I'm not a naive person. I'm not, I don't say I'm a pessimist, but I'm, um, some people wouldn't say I'm an optimist. I don't know if there's a middle road there. I don't know. But I'm not so naive to think that all I got to do is sing this, you know, sing a cool song with a, you know, some nice words that I like and everybody will, you know. Okay, I'm going to be a history maker. I'm going to leave today and change the world, you know. I wish we all had that idealism. I think that's good, you know, like childlike faith, this idealistic mentality. We, we want to change the world. That's what Jesus told us to do, right? But I don't, um, I'm not so naive to think that we just got to sing a song one time and we're done with that. So I want to tell you a little uh, story. I heard this example, and I think it's a good one. And it's about our faith because I want this song to uh, set into our hearts and I want this song to define you and me and our church. You know, we're getting ready to hopefully make a move to a new school. We're praying for that. We're praying for God to do amazing things, open amazing opportunities um, for us to reach our community in ways that are 
you know, our dreams are, that are beyond our dreams, you know, ways that we don't even know yet. And so I want this song to really be like a, a definition, a snapshot of our attitude, our church's attitude. Um, and so I want to stir our faith this morning. And this story is about two Jewish guys in Egypt and, um, and the Passover is getting ready to happen. The Passover, if you don't know the story, the angel of death is coming. The Lord sends the angel of death and every firstborn in Egypt is going to be killed. The firstborn children and the firstborn animals, everything, they're going to be killed. And so God commanded to spare his people, commanded them, them to kill a lamb and spread the blood upon the doorpost. And so this, imagine this night is coming and these two Jewish guys, uh, Bob and Stan, we'll say, are having this conversation. And, and Stan goes, man, Bob, what is the deal with the Passover? I'm really nervous about this. This is kind of scary, you know. Our firstborn, I like my firstborn. And, and the firstborn of the cattle, everything, this is kind of scary. And Bob says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, uh, I mean, Moses told us. Kill the lamb and place the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death will pass over, you know. We're going to be all right. Don't worry. Stan says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Kill the lamb. We have it already. My kids are get, growing attached to it and it's going to be hard. But yeah, we're going to kill the lamb. And But still, I mean, this is pretty scary stuff going on now. And so the Passover night comes and they, Bob and Stan, slaughter their lambs and spread the blood on their doorpost. Whose child dies. And of course, the answer is neither one of their children die. It didn't matter that Stan's faith was weak. It didn't matter that Stan's faith next to Bob's faith was weak and puny and he was scared and he was nervous about what was coming because it wasn't about the strength of their faith. It was about their, the object of their faith. And so I want to encourage us with that this morning. Maybe as we sing that song, as we um, think and pray and talk about these things that we want to see our church do. Maybe we want to see us personally do our lives to look like. And maybe we kind of go about it like Stan and say, I don't know. I just don't see how it's going to happen. I don't see how Little Old Christ Fellowship is going to be able to keep that up. I don't, I don't really see how we're going to be able to do the things that are in, in my heart and my dreams to see accomplished there. I just don't know. That's okay. But trust God and understand that it's the object of the faith, not the strength of your faith. Okay? I want us to stir that. And I want that reality that it's not about the, the strength of our faith. It's about the object to encourage us to look at God and trust him more. Okay, let's pray. And then Christians, let's come to the table and be reminded and taste and drink of that price he paid to show us how trustworthy he is. Lord, we thank you for what you have accomplished on the cross. We thank you that you are the Lamb of God slain, that the blood that you shed was the blood that forever makes us clean, that forever makes us acceptable. Lord, I pray that you would stir up the faith within us, the faith that is a gift from you that you placed in our hearts. Stir it up. Lord, for the stands here, Lord, who, whose strength of faith is weak, 
Lord, who are growing weary while doing good, who are nervous and worry warts. God, I pray for the stands that they would be encouraged because of who their hope is placed in. They would be encouraged because of what their faith is anchored to. Lord, I pray for our church, for the small and the large, the weak and the strong, the old and the young, Lord, that we would be history makers. Lord, that we would have idealistic dreams and idealistic attitude that leaves this gathering every Sunday that leaves our prayer time and our study time every day, Lord, to say, I want to change the world like you told me to, Jesus. Lord, as we come to the table and we partake of the bread and we partake of the drink, remind us that you are the God of the impossible, that where there was no way, you made a way. Where there is Nothing but ocean ahead of us. You parted the sea and you invited us to cross to the other side. Lord, help us to trust you. You are trustworthy. Christians, come and welcome Jesus Christ. Today's family weekend um, Sunday, so the kids are going to stay in. And uh, it'll be good. We're actually going to pray for the kids today. And we're going to pray for some other needs. So if you have needs, physical need, whatever might be going on, uh, we're going to take some time and we want to pray over you. And uh, we want to bless the children today. And uh, we'll read a scripture uh, out of the Gospel of Mark uh, in a little bit. But I would like to just... uh, I'd like to just take a little rabbit trail, if you don't mind. It might turn into a big rabbit trail, but is that okay? Um, and just kind of continue on the theme of, of, of the exhortation Caleb brought out of Matthew 11 when we sang this song. Why don't you turn in your Bible over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. You know, it's really important that we pay close attention to what the Scripture declares to us. Because there's not anything in the Scripture that is just there to fill space. And especially when Jesus is speaking, he, He made this declaration. He said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. How many of you know that Jesus, to, to our knowledge, Jesus never wrote anything. The Gospels attributed to Jesus were not written by Jesus. They were written by his apostles, uh, three of his apostles, and then Dr. Luke, who was a, a Gentile doctor, uh, an, a, a disciple of Christ, but also worked with the Apostle Paul. And so when Jesus made the statement, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Of course, he was speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, but he was also speaking of the very things that he was proclaiming. And he proclaimed some really profound and important things for us in Matthew 11. So let's just look there. Matthew 11. Now, Matthew 11 
I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch here. In verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. Well, what does that refer to? That refers to when Jesus sent out the 12, and he, we see this recorded in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 1, And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So he sent those guys out to do all of this, heal the sick, cast out demons. Um, he tells them in great detail what they are to do. Then we get to Matthew 11. And it says, Now when it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard, John the Baptist, this is John, when John the Baptist had heard in prison, he's in prison, about the works of Christ, that Christ healed the sick, healed the lame, healed the blind, uh, raised the dead, did these things. When he heard about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, said he, here's John. He says, hey, you guys go ask Jesus this question. Are you the coming one? This is Matthew eleven three. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus said to the disciples of John the Baptist, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, yes, I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the one that the prophets have spoke of, that the prophets had prophesied of i have done these things that were declared of me in the old testament scriptures before they happened i am the one i am the messiah go tell john yes you see that jesus didn't give john a direct answer he could have just said go tell john yes i am the one he said go tell john what you see and what you hear in other words go and tell john what you have witnessed of me John knows who I am based on these things. Oh, and by the way, verse 6. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Do you know Jesus had the power to get John the Baptist out of prison? He could have, Jesus could have marched right over to that prison, walked in there, taken John out of there, and no one could have done anything about it. But Jesus didn't do that. Shortly after this, you know what happened to John? John had his head served up to Herod's wife on a platter. And John knew he was probably going to have his head served up on a platter. And the fact that Jesus didn't go rescue John from prison and save his life, Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. There is a great message right there that we need to take to heart church and as they departed jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning john verse 7 what did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind but what did you go out to see a man clothed in soft garments indeed those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, 
I say to you and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. More than a prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before you. Before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Malachi 3. The whole chapter has to do with the coming of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and the coming of the Messiah. goes all the way to the end of the book of Malachi. You should read it sometime. It's quite fascinating. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Do you know what is glaringly missing in the scripture concerning John the Baptist? I think this is extremely important for us to not miss. You know, in the Bible, you not only read what's written there, you need to read what's not written there because what's not recorded also tells us something. And this directly impacts us today. Now listen carefully to the words of Jesus. What did Jesus just call John? A prophet? Yes. But what? But I say more than a prophet. So John is a prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet. But yet, he's more than a prophet. In matter of fact, Jesus goes on and he says, Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. You know what we don't see recorded in Scripture anywhere is one miracle that John the Baptist performed. There are none. Now, I can think of some guys in the Old Testament that did some amazing things. Think of Elijah. Elijah did some... Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and then it rained. Elijah went up on top of Mount Carmel and he, he dug a pit and made an altar and poured barrels and barrels and barrels of water in this pit and on top of these, this sacrifice in this wood. And he called fire down from heaven and it consumed the water and it consumed the sacrifice and it consumed the wood and then it consumed the, the sacrifice of the false god Baal. Elijah made an axe head float. Elijah made uh, what was poison, not poison. He made uh, bitter waters become sweet. He did all kind. He had a double portion of what Elijah had. There's people today who would love to have the anointing of Elijah or Elijah. Why would you settle for something that small when you can have something much greater? Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. There is not one born among women who is greater than John the Baptist, who, as far as we know, Scripture did not bother to record any miracles that he did. But yet he is the greatest prophet up to that point in time. What made a lot. What made John the Baptist so great? Mm. And look, Jesus goes on. He said, but before you get real excited about that, let me tell you this. He who is least, say least, 
Have you ever felt least? He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he who is the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. That's an amazing statement. Are you in the kingdom of heaven? Are you? If you're born again, you are in the kingdom. If you're a child of God, you are in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus said is you, even if you are least in the kingdom, you are greater than John the Baptist. Not because you can do miracles, because as far as we know, John didn't do any miracles. But what did John have? What was John given the privilege to do and to be that no other prophet was given the privilege? Not just proclaim the coming of the Messiah, but but John was there with Jesus. He was the fulfillment of Malachi 3. He was the forerunner. He was the messenger that God sent in advance to prepare the way. But yet, Jesus says, the least in the kingdom is greater than this man who was more than a prophet. Verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all, look at this, verse 13, this is important. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. What does that mean? Everything from Moses to Malachi, Elijah and Elijah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it all prophesied, it all pointed to who? It all pointed to this point in time when who? The coming one has come. John says, go and ask, Jesus, are you the coming one? Jesus said, go back and tell John, yes, I am. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. All the law and all the prophets have prophesied until John. It all culminates in John. And what is John fixing to do? John is handing it over to Jesus. I must decrease, John the Baptist said, so that he may increase. But yet... The one who is least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet. Greater than him who is not just a prophet, but greater than a prophet. Do you think of yourself as being greater than a prophet? Just think for a moment. Go read your Bible. Read about Elijah and Elijah. Do you think of yourself as greater than Elijah and Elijah? Do you think of yourself as greater than Moses Who's, who lifted his rod up and the Red Sea split and, and he did all kinds of things for 40 years in the wilderness, miracle after miracle after miracle. Do you, you consider yourself greater than Moses? You don't, do you? You read the Bible and you think, I wish I could do that. I wish I had that power. But yet, what did Jesus Christ himself say about you? The least in the kingdom is greater than this man who is greater than any prophet up until his time. That's you. You're greater. But you don't see yourself that way because, because you don't understand 
the greatness that has been poured into you and given to you as a gift of God because we've bought the lie that says if it doesn't look a certain way, if it doesn't act a certain way, if it doesn't make me feel a certain way, then it must not be very great. Mm -mm. You have greatness in you and you don't even realize it. You have the most amazing, the most exceeding greatness in you. And many Christians don't have a clue of the greatness and the power. The exceeding greatness and the exceeding power, as Paul declares to the Ephesians, that works in you. But yet it's there. All the law and all the prophets prophesied until John. And if you are willing, verse 14 If you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now, you can't understand what Jesus is saying here if you don't know your Bible. And this is why it is so important for you to understand the Scripture. Now, Jesus is speaking to these Jews here, and they know perfectly well what Jesus is talking about. They know what the end of the book of Malachi is talking about. And they know that Elijah is to come before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he said, if you can receive it, he is Elijah. Why? Because I am the one who has prophesied to come. I'm standing in your midst and you don't even recognize me. You're ready to crucify me right now because you don't know who I am. Christian, you have in you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You have in you something that John the Baptist didn't have. You have in you something that no prophet from Moses to Malachi to John the Baptist did not have. You have it. In you right now, you have the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you. This is why the least in the kingdom is greater than even John the Baptist. Because you have been given, like John, not the privilege to do great miracles, though God still does miracles. But your greatness is not defined by how many miracles you got notched in your gospel six-shooter. Now, the greatness is defined by Jesus. The greatness is defined by the Scripture. The greatness is defined by what He has given you the privilege to be and so to declare. And that is the gospel, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What no other prophet could declare, even John the Baptist couldn't declare it, was the finished work of Christ. He couldn't declare it. He could only look to it. He could only point to it. But he could not declare it is finished. Jesus declared that on the cross, John 19. He declared it is finished. Now we, we like Jesus, he was the first to declare that truth, but not the last. We can declare something that not even Moses Not Abraham, not any Old Testament prophet, all the way up to John was able to declare. We can declare it is finished. We can declare that the enemy has been vanquished. We can declare that Jesus Christ is victorious. He has conquered his enemies. He has humiliated them and made an open show of them. No one could declare that before, but we can declare that. We can declare that God has, past tense, has done it, has made a way where there seemed to be no way. 
How could we make our way back to God with such a gulf between us, a gulf of sin and death? There was no way. But because it is finished and we have been given the power and the privilege to declare that finished work, because it is finished, we can declare there is a way. There is now a way. His name is Jesus. So Jesus goes on. He says, what, what shall I like in this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions saying, Hey, we played the pl- flute for you, but you didn't dance. We mourn to you, but you didn't lament. In other words, play the flute so we can dance. Oh, okay, I'll play the flute. How come you're not dancing? Jesus said, you're like children. You say you want one thing, but then when it comes, you don't want it. For John came neither eating or drinking... They say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. What's wrong with that John? He doesn't eat and drink. He doesn't party with us. He must have a demon. Then the son of man comes eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's wrong with this Jesus? All he wants to do is eat with sinners. All he wants to do is, is be a glutton and a wine-bibber. Uh, but but you just called John the Baptist possessed by a demon because he didn't. But now Jesus does, and so there's something wrong with him too. Do you see human nature? This is our fallen nature. Jesus is calling us out right here. Because you know what? Our satisfaction is not going to be found in whether we play the flute for each other, whether we drink with each other, whether we eat with each other. Listen, if Christ is not our satisfaction, then we'll find no satisfaction. We'll grow weary of playing the flute, and we'll quit playing, we'll quit dancing. We'll grow weary of eating and drinking, and, and it won't satisfy us anymore. If you're looking to anything to satisfy you other than Jesus Christ, you just wait. Eventually, you'll become disappointed. This is why the church, this is why Christians in America today are on this endless search. That's why we have what we call in the church world a consumer faith a consumer religion you know why hey they're playing a better flute over here so we go over here where they play a better flute oh they got better food over here let's go over here where they got better food oh wait they're dancing over here let's go over here i'm growing tired of the dancing i don't like flute music anymore now their food just doesn't taste the way it used to but who is christ he is the bread of life he's like manna it's fresh every day If I will set my affection on Jesus, if I will set my sights on Jesus, if I will purpose in my heart, are you hearing me, Christian? If you will purpose in your heart to be satisfied by nothing and no one less than Jesus, you won't become like these people Jesus are talking about here. Who is your satisfaction? Who is your satisfaction? Let it be Christ. Let it be Christ. Then in verse 20, he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. We say today, if we could just see more miracles, people would repent. Really? Jesus Christ walked the earth, went into these cities, performed miracles, and Jesus says, you know what? They're going to be judged more harsh than Sodom and Gomorrah because 
I did all these mighty miracles and they didn't repent. You know why? Because they, they didn't look to Jesus. They looked to something else. Woe to you, he says to these cities. And he goes down and he says in verse 25, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Babes. Kids, are you listening to me? Babes. Like children. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All these things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And, no, and nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then we come to Matthew eleven twenty eight. A scripture many, many Christians know, but they don't know it in the context with which Jesus said these words. Take some time and go back and see the context with which Jesus comes to this famous verse. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What, is he, what does he want to give them rest from? From their endless search to find salvation from their endless search to find satisfaction from their endless search and their endless work to become acceptable to God to feel acceptable to God he says you're not going to find it that way you're trying to understand something you can't understand because it's not anything that can be understood here it's got to be captured right here and until your heart is made new, your heart can't receive it. And you've grown weary trying to grasp it, trying to work for it, trying to search for it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Contrast that with least in the kingdom is greater than any of the prophets you want to imagine in your mind that you read about in the scripture. Least in the kingdom is greater. Is that performance pressure Jesus is putting on us? Absolutely not. Because after he makes that declaration, he says, come to me. You weary and heavy laden, trying to make something happen that you can't make happen. Trying to be something and do something that's impossible for you to be and do. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I'll teach you. I'll hook you up and I'll teach you how to walk this walk of faith. I'll teach you what has been completed, what is finished, and you can walk 
in the reality and the power of that finished work. And you can, out of that rest, proclaim the power of that message that those prophets of old could only point to and look to from afar off. But you, you not only have seen it, you have become a part of it. That's who we are in the kingdom. This is the power, the power that we possess. But at the same time, this is the rest that Christ wants to usher us into. It's not going to happen except, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. That's not going to happen until we become people of childlike faith. Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three Gospels record this event. All three Gospels record this event in, in the same and in different ways. In other words, you have to read all three of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke to get the full picture of what was said and done here. But what's common... In all of these is when we come to, for instance, verse 13. Then they brought little children to him. What's recorded in, verses thir- in verse 13 in Mark is recorded in all the other gospels, the other two gospels. The, the message preceding this is different. It's not a different. It's not a different occasion. It's just the gospel writers wrote different details about what Jesus taught. So Jesus is in a house teaching. He's been out with the multitudes. How do we know that? Again, begin reading. Read in context. This is why it's so important. Don't just read your Bible in sound bites. Read and study your Bible in context and understand what's happening here. Okay? So Jesus is out teaching to the multitudes. He finishes teaching to the multitudes, and then they go. We see this in verse 10. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. They, they were outside teaching the multitudes. Now they've come into a house, and they, they're like, okay, now we got you in the house here, Jesus. Can you explain what you just told those thousands of people out there? And so they're in the house, and Jesus is teaching them in the house. Now he's got multitudes that he was teaching outside. Now he's got his more intimate group of disciples and their families... Now, in this setting, imagine being in a house. They're in the house, and they're in the house with young and old. I mean, we're talking mama, daddy, grandma, grandpa, little baby, brother, big sister. They're all there. They're all in the house with Jesus. And Jesus is teaching them. So parents, for instance, if you do Bible study in your home, you have a life group in your home, don't try to just figure out ways to get rid of your kids so us adults can have our adult time because that's not what they did in the Bible. As a matter of fact, they were commanded in the Bible to make their kids a part of it so that their kids, this is how kids grow up in the faith. They hear mom and dad and, 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 and other adults sitting around talking about the faith and, and, and those kids are invited to join in because... 
in case you guys didn't realize that kids aren't dumb. They're quite intelligent. And we sometimes think, you know, well, he's only that tall. He doesn't really know what's going on. Oh, he knows a lot more than you think he does. And you better include him now. You better teach him now. If you wait till he's 16 or 17 years old, now I'm going to teach you. No, it's too late. You're, you're about 12 years too late. You should have started 12. Actually, you should have started before they were born. Okay? They can hear even in the womb. Did you guys know that? So all the little kids are here. They're in the house. And Jesus, in this case, Mark is recording Jesus' teaching about marriage and the sanctity of marriage. And we get to verse 13, and it says, Then they brought little children to him. And that word there for children, little children, it, it describes children potentially of all ages, from nursing babes to, to kids that are weaned and old enough, but they're still under their mom's care. So these are, these are kids of all ages. This was a real common thing for people to bring their children to have the famous rabbi bless them. We go all the way back to Genesis and you see when, for instance, Jacob had his sons come and he's praying a benediction, he's praying a blessing over them. And he speaks words of blessing over them. All right, so they're bringing Jesus because they're bringing the kids to Jesus because they want they want Jesus to bless these kids. And so he says, it says they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Or here's what it literally says. The disciples rebuked those who kept on bringing them. If you, any of you guys have ever been like on a mission trip to Mexico um, or at some place where there's lots of kids and, and you can just imagine this scene. Jesus by this time is, is very well known. He's performed miracles. Um, everybody wants their kid to be touched, to be blessed, to be prayed for by Jesus. So it's like, you know, you go to a third world country. It's, I know when we used to go down to Mexico and we just go through and we honk the horn. You know, it's like, oh, the Americans are here and, and, and they've got gifts. They've got things that we don't normally have. And so you just see the kids are just running. You know, and by the time you get to the place, you, you just got tons of kids, you know, out there waiting. Well, here in this house, everybody, you know, they, it wasn't like it is now. People weren't worried about overpopulating the world. You wanted to have as many kids as you possibly could. And, and so you can imagine you have multiple families here and, and you've got lots of kids. Plus all the people outside wishing they could get in the house and have their kid prayed for by Jesus also. And so when Jesus is wrapping up his teaching here and they know Jesus is getting ready to leave, now they're bringing the kids like, Jesus, would you pray for my child? And it says they bring, and so the disciples are like, oh, get those kids out of here. You know, this is the rabbi. This is Jesus. And Jesus sees what's happening and it says in verse 14 when jesus saw that the disciples were rebuking those who kept on bringing their children he was greatly displeased and said to them let the little children come to me and do not forbid them see here's here's how the disciples here's their mentality get the kids out of the meeting they're going to quench the holy ghost get those kids away from here jesus understands what they're doing and he's like no 
he was greatly displeased. Now, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such, of such is the kingdom. What did you just, we just read in Matthew. He says, I thank you, Father, that you have, you have blinded the eyes of the wise, but you have revealed these things to who? To babes. Not that they were literally babes, but to people who had childlike faith. And Jesus says, do not forbid these children from coming, for of such is the kingdom. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. This is exactly what he said to the people back in Matthew 11. The reason they couldn't grasp who John the Baptist was, the reason they couldn't grasp the message of the gospel and what Jesus was declaring was because they weren't receiving it as little children. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Verse 16, and he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Here, here this word blessed, here's what this Greek word means. He kept on fervently blessing them. This wasn't some just little cliche pat on the head. Oh, bless you. Bless you. No. The picture here is that Jesus took these children in his arms. He held them to himself. He laid his hands on them and he kept on fervently blessing them. Can you imagine how long it took Jesus to do that? Because I I could almost guarantee you there were a lot of kids waiting to be blessed by Jesus. And I'll bet you there was not one kid in that house that did not receive the fervent blessing of Jesus as he took them up in his arms and blessed them. And I believe Jesus did that not only for the sake of those children, but he did that to teach us adults a lesson about who we are to be and what our attitude is to be. Listen, when we have family weekend, I know, you know, Some kids do better than others sitting here listening to me talk, but it's okay. It's really, it's okay. It's okay, Miss Molly. It's okay. Sometimes things happen. I bet you there were kids crying in that house when Jesus was teaching. And he still picked those kids up and he blessed them fervently. What is the condition of your heart? What is your attitude? Are you like the Pharisees? Are you like those little children? Are you like those Pharisees who thought they had it all figured out and were looking for everything that was wrong and missed the very thing that was right in front of them? Because they didn't have childlike faith. Because they had misconstrued and misunderstood and misinterpreted what the scriptures were declaring. Don't become guilty of that. Don't minimize who you are in Christ. 
Because Jesus, don't, don't define yourself. Let Jesus define who you are. Jesus, not Pastor Jeff, not Pastor so-and-so, not you, not anybody else. Jesus declares who you are. He said the least in the kingdom, and that defines all of us here. The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, who was not just a prophet, but one greater than a prophet, the greatest of prophets. You are greater. Not because of the many miracles you have done or might do, or not because you may never do any miracle. But you are a miracle. You are a miracle if you are a child of God. Because you have been born again. You have been taken from death to life. You have been brought to a place that was impossible for you to come to apart from God. And now God has put His very Spirit inside of you and given you the privilege, not just the privilege, but the authority to declare something that prophets of old, the men that you read about in this Old Testament, could never declare. You have a message that you can declare that not even John the Baptist could declare. That even Jesus himself on this side, on the other side of the cross could not declare himself. You can declare it is finished. You can declare the power of the gospel. That makes you greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Elijah, greater than Jeremiah, Ezekiel, greater than even John the Baptist. That enables you to do even greater works than Jesus did himself. Because you are declaring a completed gospel now. Wow. So live, live understanding who you are. Live understanding what has been entrusted to you and the power of that which has been entrusted to you. And believe absolutely that you can change the course of history. It doesn't matter whether you see it or not. It doesn't matter how far-reaching the course of history you change is. Believe that you will because of the message, because of the power that you have in Jesus Christ.